Ben Shapiro here with a man I have tremendous respect for, my good friend, Attorney Barack Lurie. Barack, you've been practicing law for over 24 years. Do you have some important advice about lawsuits? Well, Ben, the law deals with conflict, right? A good attorney should help ease a lot of your anxieties because he should have perspective and know how to gather his evidence. But his main mission should always be to pursue the path toward quick resolution or settlement. Well, how do you do that? Simply by working to remove the emotion from both sides. Once you gather information and think rationally and compare strengths and weaknesses in a case, you can work on what's fair. The truly great lawyers know how to do that and quickly. You can see, folks, why I so admire Barack Lurie and all the work that he does. For all your business and real estate legal issues, call my friend Barack at 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right. Barack Lurie at Lurie & Seltzer. Listen to The Barack Lurie Show, Sundays at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. Hi, I'm Barack Lurie, and this is The Barack Lurie Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. With me, I've got my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure. Uh, today, some interesting tidbits from the, uh, the state of our political machine known as Barack Obama. Um, he went on this, uh, was it a website? Uh, Vox, I think it is. It's some sort of interview he gave recently. And the import of it from this very friendly interview, I, I think, by the way, when he gives an interview to a very liberal paper. He thinks that because they're asking the question so nicely and they're supporting of him, that it won't end up being uh, creating a, quite a stir <laughs> later on by the conservative circles. So when he says something like, uh, before we all get on our high horse, uh, make no mistake that uh, Christianity did some pretty bad things, well, then... <laughs> and then it actually gets out to the Fox News, and they said, excuse me, what, what are you saying? I think in his head he actually thinks that because the liberal reporter asks it nicely and he responds to it reasonably, and the liberal reporter agrees with the reasonableness of his statement, well, therefore, it's a reasonable statement. And how could anyone misinterpret it? Anyway, so he, he, he gives this interview, and here's what he says. Two things. They're, they're quite related. One is that the, the hype of the media with regard to ISIS and the threat of radical Islam has been grossly exaggerated, don't you know? Okay, wildly exaggerated. So that, just make that clear. And the reason why, he says, you know, it's kind of like airplane crashes and such. They grab the media's attention for the moment because, after, after all, it's pretty exciting, it's dramatic, and you want to report it, but we're losing, you know, we're not having our eye on the ball. And what is the eye on the ball? Climate change. You understand? That's the real story. That's the thing we really need to be fighting. And I think as he's talking to this guy, you can, and the guy is nodding his head, like, yeah, yeah. And, and, and Obama is clearly thinking to himself, Yep, I'm redirecting the national attention because you know what? I'm the president. <laughs> and I'm, not, not only do I get to mandate things like Obamacare and such, but I get to tell you 
how you can think and where you should draw your attention to, right? It's like if I, if I dangle the keys and I say, look at the monkey, look at the monkey, that's where you're going to look. And you're going to ignore the fires that are burning all around you. That's, that's the way he thinks. And it's, it's so unbelievable that he could still do this. After six years, you would think that he would learn that by, by doing something crazy like this, that saying these crazy statements, that it's going to be just completely taken by those who disagree with him, not just the conservatives, but many among the Democrats, his allies, and, and say, what are you saying, Mr. President? This is nonsense. You can't possibly believe this. And, and nobody does believe this. Nobody. And, it's, and not only that, but it's, it's a passe issue, isn't it? Climate change, no one's talking about it. It was not an issue at the 2014 midterm elections. It was not an issue in the 2012 elections. I don't think it was an issue in the 2010 elections. I think it was, it was a bit of an issue in, 20, in 2008, but even then the big issue was the so-called Great Recession. So, you know, when has it been? You know, I, I remember when abortion was a topic the last time, I think it was 1996, with Dole and, and um, Clinton going against each other because there were no other real issues at play, so they talked about abortion. That's what, that's what the country talks about when there are no other issues, abortion. But, but climate change has never even been a central issue. And poll after poll continually says that people don't think about climate change. They don't, you know, maybe we're all fools. Let, let's just say that at the end of the day, that uh, we just don't, it's all the frog in the skillet thing. No doubt that's what the liberals are saying, right? That we're slowly burning ourselves to death. We'll all dry up and in the process we'll get flooded too and uh, the climate change, there's extreme weather and so on like that. But it's all coming so imperceptibly, you understand. But it's real, my friend. Oh, it's real. And, and this is why, you know, they need to sound the clarion bell. They, they, they need to sound the alarm and make it an election issue. But nobody buys it. Nobody. And, and the facts are not bearing it out either. But, he, but, but that's why I just I don't get the political calculation here. And I think I understand now what the political calculation is, because he's got nothing else. Because remember what we saw, was said before. Because it's such a lousy issue. Climate change is a lousy issue. It's a, it's a non-starter. It does not galvanize anybody. We know, we know that for a fact. It's been tested. Nobody buys it. Again, putting aside the reality of climate change or global warming, just let's, let's pretend that it's actually real. It's not, but let's pretend. It's, politically, it's, it's a loser. Okay? Maybe we're all going to go over that cliff. But still, politically, it's a loser. Now, here's the cliff that we are going to go over, which is the deficit, right? And, and the Islamic terror. That's, that, those are two cliffs that we will be going over if we don't do something about it right now. Okay, we keep on printing money, and we think that somehow we'll, we'll maintain our stature as, uh, as the economic powerhouse of the country, of the world. We, we don't deal with ISIS, and then we're surprised that they are infiltrating everywhere. Okay. But global warming, oh, you know, that, that's somehow the issue to worry about. Are you with me so far? Yes, everyone's with me. Good. So the question is, why would he divert us or try to divert our attention to climate change? Here's the answer. Because he's desperate to divert our attention away from ISIS. It's more the away from ISIS, away from is, uh, radical Islam, 
than it is let's focus on climate change. Do you understand? He wants you to not look at Islamic terror. He does not, it's not that he wants you to look at climate change. Got it? Understood? That's a big difference. Okay, the emphasis is on not looking at radical Islam. And the reason for that, as we talked about before, is that at the very least, at the very least, he has a very strong affinity for Islam. He loves it. He just loves it. If there's, I, I, I'm not saying that, that, that in and of itself that there's anything wrong about loving Islam. He's chosen to love Islam. Okay. Not saying he's a Muslim. Not saying, not saying he was born outside of the country. He just loves Islam. And unfortunately, because of his strange love, his his extreme affinity for Islam, it ends up informing his decisions. That's what's happening. You know, you and I, I you know, we talked about this before. I, I am very fond of Christianity. I'm very fond of Mormonism and uh, even Jehovah's Witness. I find something to, to like about them too. Very fond, okay? You, if you start attacking Mormons, I will defend Mormons. How about that, okay? I don't like the Book of Mormon. I thought that was a contemptible play, and I will defend the Mormons, and I will say, you know, that, that's inappropriate, it's wrong. But I'm not the president of the United States, and we're not at war with Mormonism, okay? Those are two very big facts, okay? We are at war with radical Islam. We are. And his effort to divert attention away from that is just another example it's just consistent with this whole, I refuse to use the word radical Islam. In fact, I, I, I refuse to say the word Islam with anything, radical or otherwise, when it comes to this war. Okay, we are at war with workplace violence, which happens to be happening in, in open fields <laughs> in Iraq and Syria somewhere. Okay? And random shootings. Random shootings. I'm against that. But those random shootings happen here, don't you know? Give me a break. This, this is the way he thinks. So, now, now let's, I mean, let, let's go to climate change just for fun, because I did say we would discuss about how bizarre it is. For anyone to think, an intelligent person, to think that the climate change mantra is accurate, I, I beg you, please call on my show on Sundays, KRLA 870 AM at 10 AM to 11 AM. I'd like to hear from you. I want to hear the facts now, because here are the facts that you have to deal with. One is, all the evidence now shows that the temperatures are in fact decreasing. I don't know how you square that away with all the predictions that we're supposed to indicate that we would be gradually increasing our temperature. That's point number one. Point number two, it's now clear that many of the global warming enthusiasts the University of East Anglia, for example, they fabricated emails. They talked about tricks and how to fool people. And now we have James Clapper, I think it was. No, not James Clapper. Oh, Who James was Hansen. James Hansen, I'm sorry. I got confused. James Hansen, uh, it's now revealed that he was tweaking with numbers such that they wanted to show that hockey stick where the temperature is increasing dramatically like a graph. Uh, they were fudging the numbers. They were making it uh, 
you know, decreasing the numbers. They are making it colder in the past. Colder in the past, warmer in the, in the future. This reminds me, yet again, of another Simpson episode. Okay? You know I, I live by all the Simpsons teachings. It's a very smart show. And I don't think they ever thought this in, in the context that I'm about to say it, but it, it's really very funny. So <laughs> they're in the police station, and Chief Wiggum, he's a buffoon, right? And his sidekicks are not that much better. And... And they're getting a rash of burglaries throughout the town. And so, and he has a big map of the Springfield town. And they're putting little thumbtacks and showing, you know, these thumbtacks all over the, the, all over Springfield. It's all kind of random. And, and so you see Chief Wiggum saying, well, wait a minute. If we move this thumbtack here and this thumbtack here, and, and then and it makes it so accurate, it shows an arrow pointing directly toward the police station. And then he panics himself and he goes, we got to get out of here, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, but this is exactly the same thing, right? This is what they did. This is what the global warming enthusiasts did. They did exactly what Chief Wickham did. They moved those th- thumbtacks around. And, they, and they, they're saying, look at this alarming thing that we're seeing. There's here. a pattern here. Yeah. I don't believe. There is a pattern. Right. See? That's it. The only pattern is their, their pattern of fudging the numbers. That, that's truly a, a pattern. Okay, but, but then the, put that aside. That's the inherent fraud. That's the flaw of man, right? Put that aside. Then talk about the missing elements, right? I mean, we, we talked before about this very good hypothetical where I, I describe a scene where a woman's coming out of a 7-Eleven store. You're witnessing this whole thing, and she's coming out, and it's a cold day. She's got a big jacket, and she's, you know, there's a lot of panic going on in the 7-Eleven store. And she's waiting nervously for a car. Car pulls up in front of her, screeching. She opens the door, and she says, go, 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 and they peel off. And everyone, when I tell that hypothetical, they assume, and I think fairly, that she's just robbed the, uh, the Seven Eleven store. And then when I say, listen, there's one small fact I forgot to tell you about. She's nine months pregnant. Okay? Does that change your view? And then suddenly you see their eyes like, kind of like, oh yeah, maybe she was on the way to the hospital and that was her husband. Did that change the story for you, my good friend? Well, here's something that's akin to the pregnancy in that story, the missing fact, right? Every time they talk about global warming, they they use 1865 more or less as the benchmark here. Why? Because there was a little ice age that ended in 1865. It started in 1300. It ended in 1865. And so we've been climbing out of that little ice age all the time. But if you don't mention that important fact, then it would appear to you as though somehow it's something that's man-made. No. No. There was a four-degree difference in temperature. It's a huge amount, by the way. Huge. And the Romans uh, were living uh, at a time where it was far warmer than it is even today. There were wineries in England. You know, you can get you, you grew wine grapes in England. You think the Romans wanted to go up to England where it was that cold? That's not their style. <laughs> they like the warmth. Thank you very much. And anyway, that's that's a, a, a tremendous missing fact. So, 
that's why we say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth in law, right? Because if you don't have the whole truth, then it might as well be a lie. Just like my, that the fact of the pregnancy in my previous hypothetical. Okay? It's a lie. Okay, so now you, 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 the little ice age factor is a big deal. And then finally, the fact that you can never predict the future with, with computer models. That's what it is. I, I mean, we all agree. Global warming was created as a result of computer modeling. Okay, that's, that's the way it works. But guess what? Who inputs the data into these computers and then presses enter? Who? These things called humans. Humans input that information. And they make all sorts of assumptions, don't they? And if you're thinking and you want the conclusion that there is global warming, well, then you just move things around. You input things in a way that is consistent with your desired outcome. Very much like, my, like our friend Chief Wiggum on The Simpsons, who moves the thumbtacks around in such a way as to create an arrow that points directly to his, his own police station. And then he panics, right? So this is, this is the problem. And, you know, you're absolutely right about that. Uh, back to the comment you made about Obama and why he constantly um, says these things to that particular audience is you have to sort of understand how this man thinks from a political science point of view, which is he's made a career of appealing to the shallowest ideas to the stupidest people and being rewarded for it. So from his perspective, he looks at this as how, that's how you play the game of politics and win. Yeah. Because there's people yeah. who just don't question this that constantly eat it up. Well, I, th I think he thinks that. That's for sure. I, th I think there are, uh, certainly on his base, whatever he says, Obama, that people will eat it up. And even though they may be intellectually um, savvy and, and such like that, they, they want so much to believe what he believes that they will support him in the same way that, uh, I don't know, a... Um, uh, a parent will support a child during a, uh, a soccer game, and he'll say, "No, my my child didn't foul. No, no, you know, he played great. He played great, and and uh, you're not giving him the break that he deserves, and all that stuff. And he's wonderful, and everything is great. So, you know, they, they may be bright, these people who support him, but they don't realize how biased they've become in the process. How they they've put on blinders. Now they'll they'll turn around. And they'll say, "What about you, Barack and Ari? What about you guys?" Perhaps you have your blinders on. No, to, I turned on Karl Rove and George Bush when they started screwing things up. You, know, you, don't even, you don't even have to go that far. You don't even have to go that far. All you have to say is, and, and I agree with you, of course, you, you are intellectually uh, honest and you, you do turn, not turn on, you, you do call out uh, idiots on even the right who, who don't understand that you cannot placate these the, the, the liberal mindset because it only emboldens, emboldens them and then they get to point fingers at conservatives and say, well, even good conservatives like Mitt Romney, for example, supported uh, you know, the, the, the foundation which has now become Obamacare. Right? So you, we don't need that. right? But, but it's easier than that, Ari. Here's how. We've had six years of Obama. Right? I mean, it's, if you're intellectually honest, you just look at it and say, there's no way you can, you can meaningfully say that his policies have worked. And if he were to trot out another big uh, Obamacare-style 
program, a regulatory scheme of any kind, you would say, ah, here we go again, another Obama regulatory scheme. What's your idea now, Obama? Net neutrality. I love it. <laughs> I, uh, okay. <laughs> right? Yeah, all right, fine. I mean, really, we, we all have those, these employees in our office or people that we work with that are just losers, right? And, 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 you know, people that you have to eventually fire. You just, you just know that they just, they're not going to come. They have these great ideas. They just can't execute on it. Okay? And, and it's just, they're harebrained ideas. And they get to the point where you say, okay, okay, here comes Jane. Well, she always thinks in such conspiracies. What's your latest conspiracy, Jane? Okay. You think that the post office is conspiring not to deliver our mail to us. Okay. And that's the reason why <laughs> blah, blah, blah. Okay. You know, it, it, uh, and then another person has an idea of, you know, let's throw, uh, in, in, in my law firm, for example, let's throw, this didn't happen, by the way. Let's throw every cause of action. Let's sue everyone out there because this, is, this will force them to, to settle and they'll put pressure on the other defendants and that's the way to work. Uh-huh, uh-huh. That won't work, John. Remember how we got sanctioned by the court when we tried that last time? No, John, you can't do that, okay? Now, fortunately, again, I didn't, that didn't happen, but I've seen it happen in other firms. The, the, the people just generally, they're very consistent. People who, people who uh, lie... Uh, are liars, right? I mean, they, they consistently lie. People who are lazy, they're consistently lazy, right? I mean, uh, here's another example. People who, who tend to get sick a lot will always get sick, right? I mean, I, I had one uh, attorney that worked with me, very nice guy, constantly sick, right? Every week was another malady. If he wasn't with the flu, then he had a stomach ache. If he didn't have that, then he had a migraine. If he didn't have that, then he had a back problem. Um, if he didn't have that, then he, he always had issues. Everything was, you know, we'll call him uh, um, Jeff, okay? Jeff always had a problem. Well, and it was, became a joke. What was the latest issue to deal with, with Jeff, right? And that's the same thing, right, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's uh, harebrained ideas will will always be harebrained ideas. And if you delivered a harebrained idea that didn't work before, well, you're going to deliver another one. And, and just looking at it from an employee point of view, right? We've hired this Obama guy to lead our country. Okay? All right, here's his idea. <laughs> Can we fire human resources? That's right. Obamacare, okay. And, and the website didn't even get up, on, you know, and, and the disasters about everything we could point to. The 15 different failures of Obamacare. Yeah, of which you've done now 30 shows. Yeah, we don't, we don't need aspects. to repeat them. Yeah. But we, we could say, all right, well, that was a disaster. Okay. Uh, all right. Now, hey, I know Obamacare was not the best thing. I'm hoping things will be great. But hear me out. <laughs> Here's the latest thing. <laughs> and by the way, can you give me an advance on my salary for the next three months? <laughs> right? Uh, okay. Thanks. You know, you know what else is, is, I just thought <laughs> that, of this. But that's that. I mean, just one, yeah. one point. I want to hear oh, your thought. Okay. I definitely want to hear your thought. But this is this is what we're dealing with, isn't it? Right? And and why are Democrat Democratic base friends don't understand this? Can't see this in that slightly different way, without saying you know look that all Democrats are wrong. Uh, you know I think liberal policies are all wrong. But but put that aside for a second and simply say. Can't you at least say that this guy, this man at the helm, maybe he's not the one that you want? 
surely there must be some other Democrat leader that you think would be better than this Barack Obama guy. Isn't there anybody? And if you post it like that, then you hear some of the, you, you know you're dealing with a diehard liberal when they say, no, I think he's the best man for the job. Okay? He's the, our best leader. And when he goes, I don't know what we'll do. Okay? That, that's a, I'm sorry. So anyway, tell me what your thought on this. Well, a question, Brock, and this yeah. is, should be a fairly easy one to answer. Which of the two parties in general thinks more long-term about the survival and future of America, the Democrats or the Republicans? Republicans, of course. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Well, but except for climate change, they're thinking for us right That's now. That's exactly my point. Yeah. What climate change does as an issue is it gives Democrats this one issue uh, where they can appear to be thinking about the long-term future. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, the fact that it's a complete fraudulent issue is kind of secondary to the uh, political kind of space it occupies in a you know, philosophical wedge kind of way to right. lend credibility to that. Because that's the one thing Democrats have never, ever been able to do in their arguments against Republicans going back basically to Woodrow Wilson, is say, we're the people thinking about the long term. No, their responses when we are the adults in the room and say, no, any one of these programs is leading to a long-term disaster, yeah. would always respond with, well, don't you care about the poor? Don't you care about the minorities? Don't you care about this? Don't you care about that? You know, right. just fill in the the uh, progressive cause du jour of the day. Mm-hmm. But now they finally have an, a fraudulently created issue that undermines all of our long-term agenda. Right, issues. and that suddenly we're the short-term thinking people. Right. I, I because guess. we don't want Iran to get a nuclear weapon. Really? But the seas may rise. Right. Who yeah. cares if they vaporize Atlanta? Right. The seas are rising. Yeah, I'd rather the world be a Muslim world than a world be that there be no more. That's something like that, right? Yes. That's, that's their thinking. I get it, and I agree with you. The problem for them, of course, as we just said, is that climate change is a loser argument. Even if they want to say we're thinking ahead, then and 50 years ahead for that matter, nobody's buying it. Nobody, not even the Democrats are buying it. They, they've already tested this out. They, they know, nobody's going to come to Obama, or better yet, to Hillary Clinton and say, Hillary, you need to focus your entire campaign on the extraordinary danger of climate change. Okay? This, this ISIS business and this everything, and, and minimum wage and all that stuff, that's all cute. But Hillary, you need to sound the clarion bell. And climate change, we think that's a winner. No, it's not going to happen that way. Assuming that Hillary Clinton will be the nominee, she'll, she'll only barely talk about climate change. And if she does talk about more about climate change, great. Because no one's going to listen to her. Because it, it, it's, it's a fool's agenda. It's an item that only appeals, appears to certain people in the windows outside, uh, in the neighborhoods outside the window of your office right here in West L.A. Right. And in San Francisco and in people who live in uh, very expensive apartments around Central Park in New York. That's right. Other than that, it's a snoozer. And plus, American politics is designed in a way, the big flaw in it always has been, that it doesn't necessarily allow for long-term planning. Yeah, no, it, it never, you know, it never That's has. why there are two-year, four-year, and six-year election cycles, depending on the office. So essentially, the longest-term thinking in American politics or, or sort of culture is always a five-year plan, tops. Well, and so it should be, right? Because you and I both believe in very limited government, and there should not be any 
long-term program. I, just nothing. That's, that's the beauty of it is, is that if you don't focus so much on deciding how the whole country should act, and for that matter, how the whole world should act, then, then you don't engage in any of these nonsensical schemes, which are, all, they're actually all disastrous, because you can't possibly say that a, a scheme that will somehow resolve a, a budget crisis you know, 20 years from hence, by the year 2025, our budget should be at zero, right? You know, when you hear that as a Republican, you know that's BS. There's no way that it's going to play out by the year 2025 or ever. Because then what happens is, well, the year 2020 rolls around and there's different presidents and they want to change everything. Uh, and, and then it doesn't, you know, nobody remembers what was talked about or promised back in the, that, that grand old year of 2015. Just madness. And also, but because I, I want to tweak a little bit right now, kind of sidestep a little bit. It's related. It's related in this in the following sense. Remember what it, the story that we just talked about, but the pregnant lady, and the one fact that's missing. I can't tell you how many times I've I've, I've presented this story for the purpose of showing the. The, the, the importance of, of keeping all the facts in, right? And telling the whole story, not just 95% of the story, the whole story. One small fact changes everything. And the, in my example, the fact that she was pregnant changed the listener's entire viewpoint of what actually was happening. Okay, so that's clear, right? But here's something that I didn't expect and also became a psychological thing that I, I began to understand about people. When I told this story, to or this hypothetical, and I, and I said everything about it, and there's a lot of commotion, and this woman is looking nervously back and forth, and she's waiting for somebody, and the car whips around, and then they, they're convinced that this is a bank robbery, or a robbery of a, of a 7-Eleven store, rather. They're convinced of it. And then I say to them, would it change your story if I told you that she were pregnant? And it's amazing how many times people say, well, no, she could have been pregnant and robbing the store. And yet, Ari, had I told them the story in the beginning, from the get-go, that's a pregnant woman coming out of it, she's looking all nervous, and she's holding her belly, and she's looking nervous, and then the car comes in front of her, and, she, and they take off after she says, go, go, go. Had I told them that from the get-go, they would have said, well, she's pregnant, she's going to the hospital. But no, what happens is they get invested in their interpretation of the story. And then when you ask them to realign their story based upon the new fact, they have, most people have trouble doing it. And this is a story I'm telling that they're not invested in. They, they, it shouldn't matter to them whether she's robbed the store or whether she's going to the hospital. She's right? not even a real person. She's it's not even a, a real person. Hypothetical story. Totally hypothetical. It's so not imagine like you've said, you know, your favorite athlete has a wife. That's right. Came okay, fine. Then you know the person. Yeah. This is. Yeah. So 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 imagine what would happen if you are invested in it. You've given money to, let's say. The presidential, uh, presidential campaign. Or fainted at one of his speeches. Right. Or, or, or worked for him or whatever it is. You know, or you, you, did a, you did a big speech or you did a rally on his behalf. Right? And you wrote articles on it. Imagine what would happen. And then all of a sudden you learn something about him, about his policies after six years and, you, and, and one policy after the other has failed over and over again. Or perhaps you, you find his his failure to attack radical Islam 
to be wanting, <laughs> to be an issue for you, because let's say you're a sensible person and you believe that Israel's under dramatic threat now because you're a decent person. And you do believe that you know, we must learn from the, 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 the history lessons of World War II, for example, about appeasement and taking dictators at their word and all those things. And now all of a sudden, how do you, you you've, you've bought into the mantra and now your, your man is still telling you what he wants you to hear and you can't do it. It's very hard. Imagine how hard that is to unravel that story. And in, in the meantime, of course, you and I, having never voted for him, having known that he was a charlatan from the very beginning, having known that he had no experience whatsoever, having known that he was a liar, having known that he was anti-Israel from the very beginning, you know, it's easy for us. He's, he's walking and talking consistently with everything you and I have said and had believed from the very beginning of time. Consistently, right? But imagine if you're not one of us, Ari, to, to you and I. We're very sensible people. We see things clearly, right? And, and yes, you know, the liberal listening to the show will say, well, wait a minute, what, don't you have your biases too and everything else? But we're talking about Obama for the time being. Okay, let's, I, I don't think we do have our biases. I think we... We see things much more clearly than the, than the far left especially, and for that matter, most liberals. But putting that aside, we're talking about Obama. And anyone looking at Obama, anyone objectively looking at him, should at the very least say, we really need to fire this guy. You know, we, 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 uh, I'm a Democrat, I love being a Democrat, but we need somebody else at the helm, thank you very much. Let's get a real leader like Bill Clinton, or FDR, or whatever, whatever their favorite Democrat is. JFK. Fine, they were all Democrats. But you, you would think that, but they're not even doing that. So I, I feel sorry for these people because imagine how difficult it is for them to unwind their narrative that they've bought into, especially, especially with all the hope and change and everything else. You know, how do you, how do you tell yourself, having invested yourself emotionally, intellectually, and in many cases, financially. How do you do that? And then, and then realize after these six years, just saying, wow, this, this guy's a nothing. He, we, he's done nothing for us. In fact, he's set us backwards. And, he, you know, let's face it, we're an embarrassment to the whole world in the way that we operate now. Nobody, nobody's taking us seriously now. Our, our allies can't trust us. Our enemies are emboldened by everything we do. So how can you, as a diehard Obama fan, feel that you're in the right position? Because the, the only way is because we got people who are kicking and screaming, having been so emotionally, intellectually, and financially invested. And, you know, you just hit on something that I think is such a profound point about uh, the philosophical failure of what, it's, what it means to be a member of the Democrat Party or the progressive liberal way of thinking, which is this. We as Republicans and conservatives always stand on the shoulders of our giants. George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Ronald, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And we are always asking ourselves, where is the next one of these guys? Mm -hmm. We always are. And whenever someone, like, say, Reagan comes around during the Reagan era, we would say, yeah, but he's no George Washington, is he? Then years later we go, wow, he really was. Right. You know, he, we were, were always pleasantly surprised. 
But who do they point to? Because even if they do point to Woodrow Wilson, FDR, Lyndon Johnson, or Bill Clinton, you're dealing with people who weren't of the kind of character of our guys. Well, that goes without saying. I, I agree with you. It, but, but, the but that might... who are they looking for? The next yeah. Franklin Pierce? Look, I... Uh... I understand what you're saying. It's a little bit off topic from what we're talking about. I agree with you. They, they have nobody else. I'm, but I'm giving it to them, so to speak. I'm, because I can tell you Franklin Pierce was a hell of a lot better than Barack Obama, right? Even FDR was better than Barack Obama. Even Truman was. I mean, all, all the, even Carter was better than Obama. But that's not really where we're going. I'm simply saying, why don't they just at least say he's not the right guy? And the reason I'm telling you is because of the same reason why so many people who listen to my pregnant lady coming out of the 7-Eleven store story refuse to reinterpret the story once I give them that small essential fact. And that's the difference, my friends. Don't go away, we'll be right back. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you recently handled a case where one brother was suing his two brothers, your clients. What happened? Well, Dennis, the two brothers struggled but succeeded to build three restaurants. But when the third brother returned from being out of the country for 20 years, he sued to get one-third of their business. He claimed an oral deal between them because he had once worked as a cook for them. So what did you do? Well, during trial, we got him to acknowledge certain key dates and to his complete lack of documentation. So when his side rested, we asked the court for what's called a directed verdict, a motion that gets rid of a case after fatal facts come out during trial. And the court agreed, shooting down all but one of the brothers' causes of action. And we settled that one for a very small amount and excused the jury. And justice was done. My friends, you know that I trust Barack Lurie with my own business and other legalities. So to make sure a deal is done right, call him for your own legal issues. At 866-575-8111, that's 866-575-8111, fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Park, 866-575-8111. about uh, Hillary Clinton. And she's, you know, the presumed front-runner for the Democratic uh, campaign, the, the side of the Democrats, right? And I'm thinking to myself, where is she? Hello, where, where, are, where have you gone? Not Joe DiMaggio, but where have you gone, Hillary Clinton? It seems that she's definitely out of pocket. There is just, it's a mystery. Now, Ari seems to think that that, uh, that means that she's getting some work done and all that stuff. But I, let, let's not be too cynical about that because it seems a little odd. We're, we're getting a lot of focus by the Republicans. There's a lot of the primary candidates for, um, for the Republican side. You're, you're hearing a little bit about uh, Marco Rubio, Scott Walker, um, Jeb Bush, and others, of course. And they're all kind of getting into the fray a little bit. And people are already bowing out, such as Mitt Romney. Um, but on the Democrat side, you see nobody, presumably because Hillary Clinton is their person, right? But, but she's not saying anything. She's just not doing anything at all. She, you don't see her in a speech. It's the incredible disappearing Hillary Clinton. 
Why? Why? I think a lot of it has to do with her wanting to distance herself from all the madness that Obama's getting sucked into. From the Democrat perspective, his handling of ISIS and all the conflict in the Middle East is just a disaster. Likewise with uh, the relationship with Israel, likewise with uh, the economy, likewise with uh, this whole thing with the FCC that's coming up. What is, what is, you know, she wouldn't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So the more she distances herself by simply not even being there, the better off it is for her. Because don't forget, she was also the Secretary of State for one Barack Obama, right? She was doing his bidding, at least in the foreign policy arena. Never mind that she did nothing and only caused the disaster known as Benghazi and, and otherwise. And I'm not being cynical about that. I, I think she truly is responsible and she's got blood on her hands when it comes to Benghazi. Everyone knows that. They should know it, if not, if not, uh, if not be certain of it. Here's, here's the main point. If she, in fact, gets out there, then a reporter is going to ask her, Mrs. Clinton, do you support Obama's, for example, use of drones in the Middle East? Do you support his desire to uh, limit the definition of what uh, we're fighting? Do you support his request for authority uh, to use uh, military force, but only starting in the year 2018? Do you support the continuing Obamacare, um, the pension and, and all the plans and the regulations? Do you support, do you support, do you support? What do you think of, what do you think of, what do you think of? These are questions that she doesn't want to answer. How can she answer them? So she's doing the smart thing. She's avoiding the questions altogether in the first place. That's what I think. And I don't know if it's going to win for her because at the end of the day, that's what the campaign is going to be. At some point, she's going to have to surface, right? She's going to have to say, I'm running for president, and here's what I believe. She's going to have to go on the stump and talk. And is she going to be supportive of the two years free of community college? Is she going to, uh, like I said about Obamacare, like I said about the minimum wage, like I, all the plans that he has, um, is, this, is this going to work for her? And everyone's going to ask her those questions at some point or another. You were Secretary of State. Did you agree with him on such and such foreign policy? What about all these domestic plans? I don't think she can do it. I think she's going to be on the defense of the entire candidacy. How about that? Okay, all the, whoever is the Republican who's going to lead the uh, nomination, take the nomination, he's going to be on the offensive. He's going to be able to say, this is where we need to take the country. Uh, the Democrats have done this disaster through uh, and including uh, the present. And that's because of uh, Barack Obama and his whole liberalist ideology. And that's your mistake. And if you subscribe to it, Mrs. Clinton, then we're just going to have more of the same. We're, not, we're, we're just not about to let that happen. So vote for us. I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to that campaign. Now, on the other hand, uh, it seems that Elizabeth Warren is, is gaining some traction. What do you think about it? Is, is, that, is that your impression that she's going to get I've some been telling you for over a year now. She's going to be the nominee. I could just see it happening. Because wow. what we discount is that the base of that party that, that decides the nomination 
has values that are so far to the left that they chose Barack Obama over Hillary Clinton several years ago, and they don't regret it. I and see. Barack Obama only has approval numbers among that base of people. His, his approval numbers only go down when he goes to the center. Yeah. That's how lunatic that party has become. The, the, his numbers go down among his base, is, is what you're among saying. Among his base, yeah, yes. Yeah, and he's got to keep the base. Yeah. That's very interesting. And then the, the, uh, to address what you said about Hillary Clinton's whereabouts, and we can speculate the um, you know, specific details of where she is at the moment, but that's really a more well, minor I, point I, from, I, from the, the broader thing, which is if you look at last year's book tour, which turned into a disaster, I think she's made the calculation that the more she speaks, the less popular she gets. Wow. Well, I actually happen to know where she is because um, I've got her on my Find My iPhone. She's on one of the same telephone plan. And uh, I'm looking right now at where she is, and it appears that she's somewhere in Monte Carlo. Yeah, that's right. All right, I'm kidding. I do not have that kind of relationship with her, nor do I ever want such a relationship with her. I'm, I've already left. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's, that's Hillary Clinton for you. I, I'm just... I think it's going to be very interesting at the end of the day. Um, and, and good luck to her, but good luck to us, of course. I, I think anyone who thinks that she's a juggernaut and she's a runaway train that, that can't be stopped, okay, all right. You know, there's a lot of wishful thinking there. She, she's also famous for a lot of gaffes. She's just not that bright, as it turns out. She's got a lot of, uh, she's tied her wagon to some important people and she's been very successful but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're a bright person and the kind of things that she has said uh, you can just see her handlers just slapping their forehead when she says uh, phrases like what, at this point what difference does it make you know we've got four dead Americans let's find out why, why they are dead yeah that's why we are here Mrs. Clinton precisely to find out why they're dead and perhaps you, you might be responsible for their deaths Mrs. Clinton ah uh, and then all the other comments that she makes, it's just, I mean, there was one that she made the other day. What, what was it, Ari? Um, a couple of months ago, she, she had this uh, comment. Well, you can jump in whenever you like about it. I will when I realize what you're talking about. I, well, do you remember the Some of the gaffes. Yeah, no, she, she was talking about, um, uh, I think that this is it, that when she left the White House, she said that she and Bill were so dirt poor that they couldn't afford a home. Oh, yeah. That was... Yeah. That was, that was the thing. Uh, and then she's made a lot of other gaffes in the meantime. and she's got, She had to backtrack a lot and explain herself. And You know what else it might be? I just realized. Yeah. It could be that it was like a Jeffrey Epstein, that, uh, that scandal involving her husband. You know how he's been named in that uh, yes. underage yes. scandal? Yeah. But there's some issues there, of course. Uh, and there's also the issue of her health. I mean, she had uh, something, that, uh, some procedure in a hospital, and she came out with those sunglasses and such, and it was suggested, and I, you know, who knows if it's true, that she had a minor stroke. And I, I, I wish that were not the case. I hope that's not the case. I don't want anyone to suffer. Um, and it's, it's just, I just don't know if she's up for the job. She will be as old, if not older, than Ronald Reagan was when he ran for the presidency in uh, 1980. So it'll be interesting, interesting. So maybe she's going to live a longer life than Ronald Reagan did. Um, and uh, God willing, she, everyone lives a very long life, but I just don't want her to be the president. I, 
you know, she's a true believer. As much as Obama is a true believer. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's so interesting about the Democrat base is this is a candidate who's been pragmatic enough to at least tack towards the center rhetorically, even though rhetorically, in right. what she does is is very hard left. But even that isn't good enough for the fanatics within the base of the Democrat right. Party. Right. The so social true. justice so true. redistributionist crowd. So true. You know, I always say, um, and I want to talk about the Pope for a moment uh, a little bit later on. So just remind me about the Pope. Uh, he said he made a, a, a point that I really appreciated, but we'll talk about momentarily. Going back to Hillary Clinton, it's interesting how if we were to vote her in and that we would think that somehow she would affect something better than Obama that she would be better than him, that she would somehow bring out the best in America, even though she believes in exactly the same ideology that Obama believes in. It's just a different person signing the pen, right? Signing the paper, or whatever it is. She'd make the exact same judicial um, uh, nominee nominations. Um, they, maybe she, she would be less uh, effusive toward Islam, but from an ideology point of view, she's the same. And it really brings back the point that we've always talked about, which is that liars always lie. Lazy people are always lazy. Crazy people are always crazy. Um, you know, jerks are always jerks. That they, they act consistently. That's, that's one thing you can count on about human nature. And that's the very reason why we, we, um, we don't like people when we hear that they've had a felony, for example. Chances are that I won't hire somebody who has a felony in his past because I know what he's capable of, right? Even though he swears up and down, it's, he's a changed man and everything else, I'll always wonder, hmm, can I really trust him? Yeah, that law firm they work for that he shot up, that was a bad lawyer. I'm not, he's not going to do it again. Right. Well, but, you know, that would be an outrageous thing. But, but he's, hopefully he'll be in prison the rest of his life for that. But, but I'm talking about you know, a felony like, I don't know, even as a young kid, you know, robbing a convenience store, or maybe in some sense worse, uh, engaging in embezzlement of his previous um, uh, business 20 years ago. And he was caught, and he served a little bit of time, and now he's out, and he's a changed man. I tell you, a changed man. You're not going to go for him, right? And the reason why is, you know correctly, that people tend not to change. But it's not just in the honesty department or the criminal department. It's in every department. You know, I, I, a man who dresses well tends to dress well all the time, right? He, even when he dresses casually, he's dressing, he thinks about the way he dresses. Um, likewise, a woman that is, uh, you know, suffers from self-esteem issues, you know, guess what? It's going to bleed into everything else. She'll, she won't be confident in anything, okay? And the same, and, and, and it's so amazing. I, I recently had a case, a prospective client come in a couple of days ago, and he wanted to do this major transaction with uh, a relative of his, okay? And he wanted to give his property to that relative, and then a year and a half later, she would give it back to him. And it required so many details, this transaction. And I said, this transaction is kosher. There's not really a problem with it. But it requires 100% cooperation from the other side. 
Okay, 100%. And if you don't have 100%, in fact, it's 110% cooperation. Especially the giving back part. The giving likely. back part, right. Yes. And I said to him, what happens when the market goes up and this person, this relative of yours, decides that this is a good opportunity for her to sell the property and you don't speak to her the entire time? Oh, yeah, I guess that's an issue. And I, really? said, I said, what's your relationship with this person? Well, I don't really trust her. She's done some things in the past, but I, I think she's okay now. She's my ex-wife who cheated on me. No, no. I, I, it wasn't an ex-wife, but, but let's just say uh, it's a relative, okay? And bad things had happened, okay? And not only that, but she had done many other bad things vis-a-vis -vis him. And I said, at some point, you know, I, I can't advise you to go forward with this deal. I mean, I, I don't like the deal as it is. But there's so many options, so many opportunities for mischief here. And that at the end of the day, yes, you, you'll have a contract. You'll be able to say, I've got a contract with you. But what you're trying to save will be overwhelmed by the legal fees that you'll have to incur to protect your rights. So you'll just end up paying me a lot more money, or some other lawyer for that matter, a lot more money than if you just didn't enter into this deal in the first place. I mean, so it was an interesting thing, and, and he, he saw it, and he goes, oh, yeah. And I said, you know, people act consistently. Uh, so that's why I bring up this, this prospective client that I was talking to. And I think I saved him a bundle of money, by the way. I, I, mean, I just, we had a small little get-together fee. It's, it's nominal. Just, it's just symbolic more than anything else. And he's on his merry way, and he doesn't have to enter into this nonsensical contract and worry about it day in and day out. So, but, but enough about the law. The, the point is, that's what we'd be doing if we hired, as it were, Hillary Clinton. If we hired her, and again, I put that in quotes, by electing her, we'd get exactly the same thing. And you and I, well, we, we'd know that it's a disaster anyway, but, but any sensible person would be biting their nails and saying, is this going to work out? What, you know, what mischief is going to happen along the way? It'll be exactly the same thing. And by that, you mean Rose Law Firm papers missing, FBI files, Travelgate, yep. the cattle futures, Whitewater. Benghazi. Uh, bimbo eruptions, Monica Lewinsky, uh, right-wing conspiracy. Yes. I mean, it's all, I just. A vast right-wing conspiracy. Do, right. We just <laughs> named those nine in yeah. about four seconds. That's true. You give us 10 minutes, we'll give you the world of her. That's right. It's a much longer list. Yeah. So at what point, like you're saying, do you go, you know what? No. I, that's, uh, no. Yeah. She's, she's, we're going to have more of that. Let's put it that way. And, and with respect to her age, the fact is that she's, you know, people don't change. Not at that age. I mean, if they really want to, they can still change. They can decide to do a lot of different things. But the older you get, the harder it is to change. And she's going to be, what, 69? Something like this? Yeah, something like so, that. So, uh, you know, that's, that's definitely a, a ripe old age. And you can say it's a wise old age. But you, you, she's not going to suddenly see the light. So she's not And I understand of, that, that suddenly that conservatism is the true way to go. Yeah, she's not part of that demographic advertisers reach out to to switch toothpaste brands or something <laughs> like that. That's exactly right. She's not. She's emotionally invested. That's a good one. You know, it would be great if she became somebody like um, McGovern. But you see, the, the difference with McGovern, unfortunately, is that McGovern changed from a life of uh, politics to private life. And that was a shock to his system. It was a, 
you know, we always say you can't change without a crisis, right? Well, that was his crisis, going from government to private life and managing all these, these I think it was hotels. Bed and breakfast. Bed and breakfast, okay. Yeah, the inns. So, yeah, inns. And uh, suddenly have to deal with all these regulations that he himself had imposed. <laughs> right. Like, I mean... <laughs> I mean, hoisted by your own petard, as they say, right? Yeah. You make your bed, you sleep in it. And I mean, all those other expressions that come to mind. And, uh, and it was like, wow, I guess this really sucks. <laughs> so, because it does. That's why, Mr. Mr. McGovern. Yeah. Um, mm, I George, guess I should have opened the bed and breakfast before being a senator for 50 yeah, years. That's right. Oh, my gosh. But she'll, she'll never go into private life. You know, she's, you know, she's got the, um, the, the, book, uh, the book revenues and, of course, the pension, I guess, that her husband, Bill, uh, derives from, from being a former president. And that's the way it's going to be. She doesn't have to think in, in actual real terms. Yeah, and her senator pension and her secretary of state pension and this little thing called the foundation, you know, the tax-free. Yes, yes, of so course. So none of these are actual uh, she'll, enterprises. She'll, yeah, she'll never be thrust into a crisis. That's, that's the point. And she won't change. So here, there you have it, my friends. You want uh, you're okay with all those other weird things about her, and and um, you know some some of which may be conspiratorial, but some are which you know are are, are are of a great concern. That is the issue. You've got to be thinking about these things. Anyway, uh, you can make decisions, a lot of good decisions, based upon what has happened in the past. If you don't like what you've seen in the past, chances are you'll get more of it in the in the future. And I don't blame a Democrat, for that matter, maybe this is more to your point, Ari, for voting uh, or wanting to push for Elizabeth Warren. Because maybe they do know enough about Hillary Clinton. Maybe they have figured out, you know what, I don't want that. I, she's, she's bumbling. She's, you know, too many gaffes. Well, she's not, I, 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 so she, she did, says she's not enough of a true believer. Yeah. yeah, But, but they know what they're getting with, with her. That's the point. She's... She's the, I won't even say the, the Hilton of, of uh, political candidates. She's more like the, the, the Radisson, you know, motels. You know, that, that's, that's who she is. And yes, you'll get a decent night's sleep and you, you know what you're getting, but maybe you can get somebody a lot better, a better hotel if you go on Priceline or whatever, and then boom, you get a nice, much nicer hotel. That's the way they're thinking. Elizabeth Warren may offer that to the, the base, as you say. I think you might be right. You might yeah. be onto something here. And it turns out that Elizabeth Warren has now uh, led the pack in Iowa, is it? Yeah, in, in, in polling among Democrat-likely voters Yes. in Iowa, which, if you know your recent history, that's how Obama started. Right. You know, it, I mean, in, in the Democrat primaries, you win Iowa, you essentially win the, the nomination. So what is the likelihood that, and I'm, this is more a question to you, Ari, what is the likelihood that the Hillary Clinton camp will come to Elizabeth Warren and say, look, get out of this race? Elizabeth Warren won't listen to her. All right. Uh, you, you know, Elizabeth, it's kind of like this. Here's an analogy that might be somewhat accurate. Hillary Clinton is like the celebrity, like Johnny Depp or Carlos Santana, going to a red carpet function yeah. with a Che Guevara emblem or T-shirt on. Right. Elizabeth Warren is a leader of a Black Panthers militant cell <laughs> right. as far as being a real thing. And that real thing is what those voters want. Yeah, she's very, uh, she's genuinely a liberal. And, and she's and, very passionate. And, and she's passionate about it. She believes in it. She doesn't, she doesn't color 
or try to change the taste of the, the, the turd that she's giving you. Yeah, she doesn't go to different audiences and give different speeches with different accents, right. whether she has Gs at the end of her ING ending words or not. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's... Yeah, she, she might have a tough time on the campaign trail as against the Republican, but in the primaries, I think she might have a, a, a fairly easy time. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. Uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about the Pope. Uh, as you know, the Pope has said some interesting things regarding um, homosexuality. He's regarding the economy, uh, re regarding socialism. Global warming. Global warming, yeah, that's right, as, as an obligation, a moral obligation of sorts. Okay, okay. Um, and we talked about how there's a difference between him uh, expressing an, an edict and his own personal belief. And we had a couple of writers, a couple of them actually, uh, uh, people emailing, helping us to understand the, the difference. And I, and I definitely appreciate uh, those listeners for doing so. Thank you. And, and keep it coming, by the way, because we really enjoy the clarifications where necessary. But the, and it gives us cause for concern. And, and I'm sure that he's going to say other things in the future that will make us say, ah, shucks, I wish he didn't say that, right? Because it's not really his role to, to express opinions on you know, kind of mundane issues, that the bigger issues should be discussed. But putting that aside, he, he said something very powerful recently, and that is a, the importance of family and about having large families. And that, my friend, is a timeless issue. That's not a global warming issue. It's, it's a timeless issue that should always be. We need big families. We need good, uh, sorry, big, good families, Right? Good people should have a lot of kids, is what I always say. And uh, he's pointing to Europe, and uh, he correctly points out that the growth rate is less than 1%, which is a staggeringly low number. And I think it translates in some countries, some European countries, to less than one child per couple. And uh, if, at best, they're like 1 1.3, 1 1.4 It's couple. a negative growth it, it will trend that that's right. it means depopulation after X number of years. That's right. And then, of course, there's, you know, there's population, there's population, right? There's the European population, which he didn't get into. He didn't get into the following distinction. Their European population versus the, uh, the native European population versus the immigrant Muslim population, which is breeding quite rapidly. So it'll be more and more... Islamified, as, as we've already talked about in this uh, podcast. And in the meantime, the Europeans seeing the problem, and it's not just Jews, by the way. Uh, a lot of them just say, you know what, this is just not pleasant anymore. I want out. I don't want to hear these calls to prayer. I don't want to be told that I, that, you know, to be forced to see the burqa day in and day out. I don't want to be told that uh, Sharia law is somehow an acceptable form, of, a parallel form of justice that I must observe and honor in my own home country. You, you get the idea. I don't want to go to no-go zones or I have to fear about stepping into no-go zones as if, as if I have to step into the West Bank or Gaza. In my own country, in my, the neighborhoods of Paris, no less. Yeah. I don't want that. So they're leaving. And uh, the Pope correctly decries this situation. But it begs the question, why is it happening in the first place? And it's happening because of socialism. This, it's not a genetic thing. You know, the, the countries that have less socialism, or better yet, more capitalism, are countries that have more growth among their citizenry. 
That's the way it works. The, the reason why uh, the, the socialist countries have fewer and fewer um, people, um, births, is because, well, the government takes care of everything for them. They, um, they don't need their children. They don't, it, it, life is uh, it's so heavily regulated that it's, it's kind of, life is a turnoff in many ways. They don't fear a lonely old age. Yeah, that's right. They don't, they don't feel like they'll have to take care of themselves, be responsible for themselves, uh, innovate for themselves, uh, create a great new idea so they can make some more money for themselves and, their, and therefore for their family. They, 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 just, they just don't have that. They're, they don't have children because they are children. How about that? That's, that's why. brilliant. Yeah. That, I think that's uh, something that you just said that's so profound. That's worthy of like a whole Sunday show segment. Oh, all right. Well, maybe we'll do that. Because that's yeah. so, that, that crystallizes such an important thing that goes across so many issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, but, and you said also yourself, you know, they, they don't have to worry about getting old. They, they, they'll be taken care of. Don't, don't you worry, which is the height of being a child, isn't it? You're, you know, I, I have three wonderful children, and part of their mindset is, I don't have to take care of myself. Mommy and daddy are going to take care of me. And so they should, right? We want them to. At the moment. At the moment, right. And and we want to breed a sense of independence in them so they can slowly get into adult mode. Good, good. And maybe they'll have a lemonade stand, for example, right? Maybe we'll teach them how to be respectful. Maybe we'll teach them how to compete in sports. That's all part of the process of becoming an independent, mature, young adult. But not so in the socialist world. And, uh, and so, you know, the facts bear it out. There are very few children in, in Europe. It's, it's just a, it's very sad. I, I was just there um, one year ago with uh, my daughter. We went there and there were very few kids. We went to a playground, very few kids. And the, the kids we did see were, were from other countries. Uh, we, we met some Australians, we met some Brits, but, but uh, French kids, very few. There are, of course, some, but it's a tiny amount of, of yeah. people. It's, it, it's, it's very sad. Yeah, and what happened with my experience in life, and I'm sure yours had this too, is having children gave me a sense of history and our culture. Before having kids, I cared about my own life, and I did my best to, uh, you know, that whole thing, God, family, country, was important to me. But family meant sure. my parents, my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, maybe my girlfriends who would become my wife later on. But what children made me realize is here's a person I'm responsible for instilling all the things that will make them an American so that America survives their generation and that they grew up with that sense of history and and perspective so that when they have children, they do the same thing. And thus, America will survive X number of more generations down the line, as long as the next generation of children are brought up that way to do the same thing. Yeah. And you and I have talked before about our concern that <coughs> none of people do this, but the truth is, as long as a good number of us do this, and a good number do in America, we'll be fine. Yeah, we'll be fine. But in Europe, they've lost that obligation to the future. Well, they don't, they don't study their past, except to... Make croissants. Well, that's true. The, the, the culture, they want to keep it just the way it is. Thank you very much. And that is the kind of history that they learned. It's, but it's only cultural history. It's not why are we where we are today? Why does America seem to innovate so well? Why is it? Why do they have the sense of freedom that they do? And we have 
we have freedom too, but we, they talk about freedom a whole bunch there. What, what's going on with that? Um, you yeah, know, what, cultural yeah. legacy, not national legacy. That's, that's right. The, the, the advantage also of having kids is that it reminds you that you were once a kid and you see yourself as part of a chain. You're not an independent island anymore. You are part of a chain and your parents raised you. Now you're an adult. Now you're raising your kids and you find yourself saying some of the things that your parents taught you and what worked for you. You try to absorb and try to think about what worked for you and what didn't work for you and you try to adapt accordingly. But even so, there's a sense of a continuity, a, a chain that's moving along in history. And so it brings you, it gives you a sense of history in the past and it, that you understand you, you yourself are part of history. But not so in the socialist world. In the socialist world, it's all about what feels good right now, what are you entitled to right now, right? When's, and the only thing that you care about the future is will your pension still survive? Okay, and by golly, if there's a threat to it, you'll fight it tooth and nail. But you will not see yourself as part of a larger picture because after all, why should you? And like all children, you learn to consume and not give. Right. Like you're saying about that, the pension. That's right. That's right. Um, you should only focus on what is meaningful to you right now, what appeals to you right now, what is fun for you right now, and what your entitlements are all about. That's it. And there's no reason to think otherwise. I'm Brock Lurie. This has been the Brock Lurie Podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll talk with you real soon.